Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. 60 Minutes, coming up next. You wouldn't leave your car unprotected, so why leave your identity unprotected? Nearly half a million cars were stolen in 2012. For every car stolen, 34 people had their identity stolen. Identity thieves can take your money, damage your credit, and wreak havoc on your life. Help protect yourself with LifeLock Ultimate Plus, the most comprehensive identity theft protection available. It provides protection for your social security number, bank accounts, investments, even the equity in your home. Your bank may alert you to suspicious credit or debit card activity, but a thief could still open new accounts in your name, and your credit report may only tell you after your identity has been compromised. While no one can stop all identity theft, LifeLock Ultimate Plus watches out for you in ways that banks and credit card companies alone just can't. Visit LifeLock.com and use promo code GORDON or call and mention GORDON to save 10%. Call 800-916-7170. 800-916-7170. That's 800-916-7170. Network does not cover all transactions. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Tonight on this special edition of 60 Minutes Presents, the many sounds of music. Fighters may be America's best rock and roll band. That's not the only reason they're on 60 Minutes tonight. They're also in the midst of one of the most interesting music projects we've ever seen. You know I'm not in the clear. Dave Grohl, the band's leader, invited us along to watch as they traveled to eight American cities, interviewed some of the most influential musicians record all that's great about American music.
Blake Shelton is country music's most recognizable star. And that's saying something, since 80 million Americans listen to country music every week. What about the criticism that country music, a lot of it sounds the same? Gosh dang, man, I hear about it all the time, you know. All y'all sing about is, is, you know, pretty girls. There's a lot of songs about drinking, too. I like pretty girls, and I like drinking, and I like singing about it, so get over it. The violin makers of Cremona have used wood from the very same forests for hundreds of years. It's said Stradivari first discovered the acoustic qualities of these woods. The violin makers use compasses, handsaw, glue, no nails. The tools are simple, the craftsmanship precise. 300 years we're talking about, and people still want to have a Stradivarius. Mm. What is it? What is it? There is nothing like a fine Italian sound. Good evening. I'm Bill Whitaker. Welcome to 60 Minutes Presents. The many sounds of music have been a part of 60 Minutes from the beginning. Tonight, we bring you three very different musical portraits. We'll go on the road with one of the hottest acts in country music, Blake Shelton. We'll travel back in time to visit Cremona, Italy, home of the world's finest violin craftsmen. But we begin with the Foo Fighters, one of the last great American rock bands that consistently sells millions of albums and fills stadiums around the world. The band was created 20 years ago by its lead singer and guitarist, Dave Grohl. But it's his latest project that got our attention. The band made a multi-part documentary and recorded a new album called Sonic Highways. It's a mix of music history, journalism, songwriting, and old-fashioned rock and roll. And as Anderson Cooper first reported last fall, it's unlike anything any rock band has ever attempted and a reflection of everything Dave Grohl loves about making music. Foo Fighters' sound is raw, real rock and roll. No tricks, no gimmicks. This was one of two sold-out shows they played to 165,000 fans in London's Wembley Stadium in 2008. Dave Grohl insists money has never been his motivation. The reward of playing music should be playing music. But isn't that easy to say for someone who's, you know, incredibly successful? It's really easy for me to say, but that's the way I felt before any of this happened. I, was do- I wasn't doing it so that this would happen. I was doing it because I loved it. And you still love to play? Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. That love of playing is what Grohl believes should always be at the heart of music. Don't worry about what everyone else thinks. Don't let someone say, like, sorry, you didn't win the song contest. Go home. But on, you know, American Idol, the judges will say, well, look, are you doing somebody a favor by telling them keep going at something they're not good at? Who's to say what they're, uh, who's good or not? 
Imagine Bob Dylan standing there and singing Blown in the Wind in front of those judges. Sorry, it's a little nasally and a little flat. Next. How, how would you look, do an American Idol? Oh, I, I would never make it, ever in a heartbeat. People need to appreciate uh, th- their voice. I don't want to sing like someone else. I want to sing like me. Grohl was singing his heart out when we met up with Foo Fighters in May in New Orleans. They'd taken over Preservation Hall, a legendary jazz performance space in the French Quarter. On a Saturday night, the windows were opened up for the first time in more than 50 years. So the band could play a surprise show for hundreds of stunned passers-by. The concert was being shot for an eight-part HBO documentary about the history of modern American music that Dave Grohl is directing. Each episode focuses on the unique musical heritage of one city. To help him learn that history, Grohl interviewed local musicians everywhere the band went. Among them, Troy Andrews, better known as Trombone Shorty. Where are you from? From New Orleans, from here. Trembay neighborhood. When I interview these people and I get them to explain not only the history of the city, but the influence that 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 has on the music that comes from here, there's a reason why Chicago blues sounds like Chicago blues. And there's a reason why jazz music is here in New Orleans. And the reason is is the history of how that music was formed. It could be anything. In Seattle, it rains all the time, so people stay in their basements and write songs. Grohl approached the project as both a musician and a historian and says he was often surprised about what he learned. Everybody knows Nashville is the country music capital of the world. But then I start to realize, wait a minute, all of these, the, the foundation of a lot of these musicians is in the church. Whether it's Dolly Parton or Carrie Underwood or, they, like, they started in the church. I never knew that. It seems like the subtext is the roots of music matter oh, and yeah. are important for people to know. I feel like I have the opportunity and the resource to give this to everyone. I can do it. So why wouldn't I do it? This is Trombone Shorty down here. What made the project so ambitious is that Grohl wasn't just shooting a documentary. He was also using the interviews to come up with material for a new song he'd write in each of the eight cities Foo Fighters spent a week in. The way you're writing songs for this album is completely different than anything you've ever done. As far as I know, different than anyone's ever really done. These are all things that people have talked about. New Orleans is a crossroad. The spirit's on the square. Cyril Neville used to watch his family play music through, like, cracks in a door. He'd press his face against the screen, and he'd go home with the imprint of a screen on his head. So these are all phrases that you got out of interviewing various artists Yeah, words and phrases. You know I'm not in the clear. Rule had just written the song an hour earlier. It wouldn't be released for six months, but he invited us to watch him record it. It's called In the Clear and references the lingering effects of Hurricane Katrina and the history of jazz. None of the Foo Fighters knew much about jazz before coming to New Orleans, but that was the whole reason to make the trip. last day in town, Grohl and the band joined a large crowd on St. Charles Avenue to take part in a local Sunday tradition, a musical jazz parade known as a second line. This is one of the best 
things about music. You know, this is real, and it's right now, and it's happening. The musical history in this country is deep, you know, and there's so much of it that I honestly feel like if music were more a part of our daily lives, this country would be a better place. A few months later, Grohl was back in Los Angeles, along with bassist Nate Mendel, drummer Taylor Hawkins, and guitarist Pat Smear, and Chris Shiflett in Studio 606, the recording facility they built. They showed us some of their new documentary series and told us how learning about the history of American music has changed the way they listen to it. It's just such a big soup, American music. You know, it's all connected. It's not like what we do is drastically different from what a country band would do, or even maybe a New Orleans jazz band. It's all, it's pretty similar. That's interesting. And it's interconnected. The first episode is about the history of punk rock and blues in Chicago. This is a good example of uh, a moment in an interview that made its way into one of our songs. The interview was with Buddy Guy, the guitarist and singer who took a train north from Louisiana in 1957 and became a blues legend. Oh, I put it like this. I was looking for a dime and I found a quarter. <laughs> I mean, when that came out of his mouth as I was sitting there interviewing him, I just thought, I have to tell his story in this song. And that's what Grohl has done. The song he wrote in Chicago is called Something From Nothing. Chicago isn't just important to American music, it's played a crucial role in Dave Grohl's own history. He grew up in Virginia, and when he was 13, on a family trip to Chicago, a cousin took him to his first concert, a local punk rock band called Naked Ray Gun. That night changed Grohl's life. My belly was up against the stage and the singer was diving on my head and it was so loud my teeth itched you know and <laughs> like there was spit and sweat and that that night i just thought i can do this Grohl taught himself to play guitar and drums and at 17 dropped out of high school to go on tour with a punk band by 21 he was broke in los angeles with no way to get home that's when he got a call about joining a seattle band called nirvana Nirvana's first album with Grohl as drummer knocked Michael Jackson off the top of the charts and changed pop music forever. But less than three years later, Nirvana's lead singer and songwriter Kurt Cobain killed himself after struggling with drug addiction. Losing Kurt was just earth-shattering, and I was afraid of music after he died. You couldn't even listen to music? No, man, I swear, if I, if I heard a song that even touched on an emotion in me, I would turn it off. I was just so terrified because to me, that's what music always was. It was a direct connection to my heart. It took him several months, but Grohl did start playing again and went into a studio to record some of his own songs. He had no band, so he sang and played all the instruments himself. I call it Foo Fighters because I didn't want people, I didn't want to put my name on it at first. I didn't want people to say, like, oh, that's the guy from Nirvana. How did you come up with the name Foo Fighters? 
Do you like the name? Had I imagined that it would last more than a month and a half, I might have named it something else. It's the dumbest band name ever. Oh, Foo Fighters was a slang term that they used for UFOs in World War II. Now 45, Grohl is not the drummer of Foo Fighters, but he's still considered one of the greatest of his generation. Nirvana was recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's likely one day Foo Fighters will be as well. Grohl lives in Los Angeles with his wife and three young daughters, none of whom seem to care their dad is a rock star, particularly when they just want to go swimming. He doesn't like to be away from home for more than two weeks at a time, but has begun a new tour and is already planning another album. This is all I do, man. Like, There's not other interests you have. This is it. All I do is shuttle kids around in a minivan and then come down here and be in the Foo Fighters. That's it. And I'm not lying. <laughs> That's true, man. Foo Fighters returned to each of the eight cities where they recorded Sonic Highways. But Grohl fell in love with one city in particular. That week we had in New Orleans totally changed my life. How so? It made me fall head over heels in love with music all over again. This is my friend Troy. You might know him as One of his favorite memories from that week in New Orleans was when Foo Fighters gave the surprise show in the French Quarter. After playing on their own, they were joined by the legendary Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Trombone Shorty showed up late and had to borrow an old horn, but the sound was pure New Orleans. Rock drummer Taylor Hawkins had help from jazz drummer Joe Lasty Jr., who comes from a long line of local musicians and told us he always dreamed of being a rock star. His wish came true that night. Grohl called it a musical gumbo, a beautiful blend of sounds and styles. A true celebration of what American music is all about. Sixty minutes coming up after this short break. Do you want to learn how to mask your identity to browse inappropriate websites and stream media while at the office? Well, we can't help you with that. But among the many IT problems we solve, Barracuda's web security solutions keep online activity clean and ensure internet bandwidth performance. Reclaim your network, like 150,000 other businesses already have. To learn more about preventing web-based threats, visit barracuda.com slash web. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Blake Shelton has one of the top country albums in America and a grin that won't go away. He's country music's most recognizable star, and that's saying something since 80 million Americans listen to country music every week. Songs about hookups, pickup trucks, and solo cups. And that's just fine with 38-year-old Shelton, who grew up in Oklahoma, wears jeans and alligator-skin boots every day, and as Nora O'Donnell reported last fall... 
he has enough personality to fill out his six-foot-five country boy frame. What is it about country that's so popular? You know, it's not just our music, I think, that people feel like they can relate to. But it's us, it's the artists that they feel like they can relate to. I know for me, when I go home, I hunt and I fish and I plant corn and, and I drive back roads. I literally do the things that I sing about. What about the criticism that country music, a lot of it sounds the same? Gosh dang, man, I hear about it all the time. You know, it's, it's the same subject matter over and over again. And all y'all sing about is, is you know, pretty girls. There's a lot of songs yeah. about drinking, too. I like pretty girls, and I like drinking, and I like singing about it, so get over it. That's my take on it. Cause the more I drink, the more I drink, then I'm the world's greatest lover and a dancing machine. I get loud. On tour in Little Rock last summer, Blake Shelton's point of view was on full display. His concerts across the country are filled with people who see things the way he does. My side. popping, the radio's a rocking country boy can't survive. If you got a problem with that, you can't kiss my country at Shelton shows are usually holding more beers than behinds. His audience prefers stand-up sing-alongs. Here's one of my favorites from one of your biggest hits, Boys Around Here. Backwood, uh, backwoods uh, legit. Chew-tobacco, chew-tobacco, chew-tobacco spit. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that doesn't speak to your soul. Chew tobacco, chew tobacco, chew tobacco spit. See, you almost tear up when you say that. It's because it's striking a nerve. It's just fun. I don't know how you let loose and just have fun if you're having to, to think too hard about it. And when it's time to be serious, I have songs that, that'll take you down there. Some will take you too far down. It, it hurts for me to even listen to some of my own songs sometimes. But when I want to have fun and not think about it, I want to sing... You know, chew tobacco spit. <laughs> <laughs> Shelton comes by his country credentials naturally. He was raised in Ada, Oklahoma, a town of less than 20,000, an hour and a half from the nearest big city. So that was the drive through town. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted two minutes. <laughs> his father sold cars here, and his mom ran a beauty parlor. He started singing to the radio as early as he can remember. Anytime mom walked by my bedroom, it was like, what in the hell is he doing in there? It's loud. You know, be, turn it down. <laughs> and she had you performing at beauty pageants. She knew she had a kid that she wanted to get on stage, and she put me in the damn pageant and let me they have a talent part. He can sing there, you know. But wasn't it mostly girls? Oh, for, God, yes. Mostly all girls. I mean, because what boy from eight Oklahoma would be would want to be in the Miss Valentine pageant, right? <laughs> but there was a lesson he learned on stage at an early age that Shelton believes is central to his success. I learned that it was more it was more to it than just coming up here and singing a song and walking off. 
I knew I, I wasn't a good enough singer for that just to be the thing. You got to perform, but you also got to entertain. You got to make people laugh. You got to tell a joke or a story. Make the most of the time that, that you're out here so that people remember you when you walk away. Blake grew up the youngest of three Shelton children. Older sister Endy and brother Richie, who Blake remembers looking up to for all the usual big brother reasons. His bedroom was right across the hallway from mine when I was little. And he was listening to Hank Williams Jr. or Waylon or Leonard Skinner or Bob Seger. I just, whatever was popular, really, Richie loved all music. And I would be sitting there going, man, that guy's, a, that guy's my hero. That's the coolest guy. He's my big brother. But the music stopped when Blake was just 14 years old. Richie Shelton was killed in a car accident. How did you deal with the grief? I don't know, you know, I remember uh, picking up the phone to call him a week after he was dead uh, to tell him something. And it was like, you think about what I, you know, I was picking up the phone to call him to tell him something I just saw on TV or, and it was like constantly a shock to me that he was dead. It was just. You don't ever get over it. No, that's what my dad told me, too. He said, look, you will never, ever get over this happening. You're just going to have to learn to get used to it. He was absolutely right. He wrote about the loss, even acknowledging his dad's warning. They say I'll be okay, but I'm not going to. Shelton's childhood wasn't easy. His parents were divorced, and for a time, he lived with his dad in this apartment. They lived simply and very country. I went fishing or, or hunting every day after school, and whatever I had ended up on that porch. I mean, we were bachelors. We had a lot of chicken chow mein yeah, I bet. in that house and deer chili. Deer chili? Did the, you make the deer chili? Oh, oh God, yeah. Mm -hmm. All that dead stuff I drug up on that porch. We ate it. <laughs> Two weeks after barely graduating from high school, Blake left for Nashville. Five years later, he had a record deal and in 2001 landed his first big hit. P.S. If this is Austin, I still love you. But having staying power in Nashville is about as easy as making it in L.A. as an actor. And Shelton was known as much for his hairstyle as he was for his musical chops. But his career and his life changed in 2005 when he was asked to perform on this TV special with an up-and-coming singer from Texas named Miranda Lambert. You're the reason God made Oklahoma. A lot of people who were there say they saw you falling in love at that moment. I guess so. And when you look back at it, you think? I mean, I guess so. <laughs> it's hard to argue it's with hard, what I'm looking at. I'm trying to play the guy card here like, my God, no. But I mean, I mean, that's pretty pathetic right there. But you were married at the time. I was married. That was uh, easily the, the toughest thing that, that I've, you know, been through on on. You know, I put that, I put my divorce up there with, with my brother's death. 
and that was a that was a tough tough call to make. Shelton eventually married Lambert, and he started to string together hit after hit. And in 2011, was approached about a new music competition show called The Voice. Turns out the boy with the aw shucks I'm from Ada, Oklahoma personality was about to go Hollywood. I have absolutely no problem with making an ass out of myself. Actually, he's made a name for himself. When it started, Shelton was probably the show's least known star. But today, he's known as the unpredictable judge with the quickest wit. Can I talk? Yeah, go ahead. Um, oh my God. Oh man. I, well, that's a good point, and I'm glad that <laughs> you took this opportunity. Why don't you hush up? Okay. <laughs> and the deepest drink, usually vodka. Showtime. You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I better be. Because of his TV schedule, Shelton performs less than other country stars, even though the demand for him is huge. Welcome back to the ACM Awards. He hosts the Academy of Country Music Awards and holds a unique country music record, 13 consecutive number one singles. So far. You don't write too many of your songs. I don't. I've written 200 songs in my life or 300 songs. I probably have 15 of those that I'm proud of, that I'm truly go, man, I did something there. And I can't imagine me convincing myself that I'm a better songwriter than some of these people in Nashville. I just want the song to be the best song it can possibly be. His other priority is getting home as often as possible. When his TV shows or concerts wrap, he heads immediately to the nearest private airport. I am leaving Hollywood. Thank you, God. To get back home to Oklahoma, close to where he used to hunt and fish with his dad. He lives with his wife, Miranda Lambert, on a 1,200-acre ranch. They say it's their last private place, and we weren't invited in. When we drove around town with Shelton, he was proud to show us the shop where he gets his boots resold. We can take a selfie. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good to see you, girl. And that he still knows his neighbors. Tell Steve I said hello. And Patty. And David. But no matter if we were in Oklahoma, L.A., or Manhattan, the country boy and the country star seemed to be the same person. Hi. Good. How are you doing? Polite, funny, and completely comfortable in those cowboy boots. 60 Minutes, coming up after this short break. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment, information, and educational programming. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Audible has more than 150,000 titles to choose from. Fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers, every category imaginable. They even have tons of exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Just download and listen on an iOS device, Android, Kindle Fire, Windows Phone, and over 500 MP3 players. A few key features that make the app great are chapter navigation, my library, 30-second rewind, and the button-free mode. 
Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash 60 minutes and choose from over 150,000 titles. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash 60 minutes. That's audiblepodcast.com slash 60 minutes and get started today. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And now from music that is decidedly 21st century to a story about exquisite sound that has existed for hundreds of years. The rich musical tradition was born in Italy, not Florence, Venice, or Rome, but in the small city of Cremona. It is home to one of mankind's most glorious and coveted creations, elegant, handcrafted Stradivarius violins. Cremona was home to the master himself, Antonio Stradivari, who carved stringed instruments out of raw wood and, as we reported in December, set the standard for a vibrant musical tradition that still flourishes today. Time seems to stand still in the small northern Italian city of Cremona. It's a quiet place, almost sleepy. It moves to the rhythms of pedals and pedestrians. But to understand the culture of Cremona, you have to listen. It's believed the violin was invented here. To an audience of schoolchildren in a Cremona concert hall, Ukrainian musician Anastasia Petrashak plays a violin made 300 years ago by the most famous violin maker in history, Antonio Stradivari. He plied, many would say perfected, the craft of violin making in Cremona in the 17th and 18th centuries. There are tributes to him all over town. The city's violin museum pays homage to Stradivari and his magnificent creations. And they are really our history. Paolo Bodini, a doctor, the former mayor of Cremona and a director of the museum, took us on a tour of what he calls the treasure box. So, Paolo, these four, all by Stradivari? Yes, we're in the middle of the Stradivari world. You live with these all the time. Is it possible you have a favorite? Uh, I would say the 1715 is my favorite as far as uh, the sound. Many of Stradivari's 1,100 instruments have decayed or disappeared over the years, but a number that survived are in remarkable condition and in great demand by musicians all over the world. Cremona's creations have been exported worldwide. Here at a Stradfest in Los Angeles, an event almost as rare as the instruments, not one, but several Stradivarius violins on stage together. These world-class violinists played second fiddle to the old master. Cremona has brought many of Stradivari's violins back home. There are older instruments from Cremona here, too, 
some made by the Guarneri family, and this one made in 1566 by the man credited with inventing the violin, Andrea Amati. Now, this could be played today and would, and would still have that yeah, this exquisite is, sound? Yeah, this one is sort of a deep sound. To nurture that sound, these delicate old instruments must be handled, held, played every month or two. They're not just museum pieces that sit no. If you want to keep them in shape, you have to play it uh, quite, I wouldn't say quite often, but once in a while. You know, they, they need to, to vibrate to be kept alive. And when these exquisite, valuable instruments are taken from their cases to be played by Anastasia Petrashek, they get armored car-type security. It's a measure of their timeless power and versatility. In Anastasia's hands, the 300-year-old Strad is just as adept playing a serene passage from Paganini as a gypsy melody by a Spanish composer. something better, because there isn't something better. Itzhak Perlman, one of today's most celebrated violinists, plays only a Strad, though he has a more humble name for his, a fiddle. This fiddle is so amazing, I don't have to worry about it. You call it the perfect violin. Well, it's the violin of my dreams. You know, if you want to play a pianissimo that is almost inaudible and yet it carries through a hall that seats 3,000 people. There is your Strat. So describe the sound produced by this Stradivarius. I can actually see the sound in my head. I can actually see it. It, it, has, it has silk. Uh, God. It's so difficult to, to describe, but each sound is different. So th this one has that Sparkle. There's a sparkle to the sound. Somebody said it's just the Cremona magic. Could be. It could be the DNA of the city. In almost any other Italian city, a medieval piazza and cathedral this magnificent would be crawling with foreign tourists. But Cremona is off the beaten path. It doesn't draw many visitors. But don't mistake it for some charming music box time has forgotten. Cremona actually is a very international city where the past and present coexist quite harmoniously. Thousands of violins still are made here every year. There seem to be more violin shops than espresso shops in Cremona. There are 150 of them. Stefano Conia came here from Hungary more than 40 years ago. Edgar Russ moved from Austria and makes violins, violas, and violoncellos. Matthias Heiligers came from Holland. He says he and all the other violin makers were drawn by Cremona's history and tradition. Do you feel the old master when you're walking through these streets? Well, yes. It's a matter of realizing that the man who made all those incredible instruments that we are admiring every day and we're listening at in the concert halls were made by a man that actually walked on the street here because the streets haven't changed, the houses haven't changed. Neither has the way Matthias Heiligers and the other craftsmen make their violins. 
about the only thing that has changed in the past 500 years? Workshops today have electric lights. The violin makers use compasses, hand saws, glue, no nails. The tools are simple, the craftsmanship precise. This is the way Stradivari did it. 300 years ago, he was sitting in the same town doing the same job. Same way. Same way, absolutely. No power tools, no no big uh, technology, you know. How do you decide what piece of wood to use? Well, that is very much a matter of sound, you know. If you listen to this one, for instance, if you... You can hear it. What are, you, what, are you, what are you listening for? Pom, pom. That's the note this blade has, okay? Now, it has a kind of clear resonance note. This violin is going to have a clear sound. Can I hear? It's kind of high, but it's, it's clear in color, uh-huh. not so dark. The violin makers of Cremona have used wood from the very same forests for hundreds of years. Maple from Bosnia and red spruce from this one valley in the Italian Dolomites. It's said Stradivari first discovered the acoustic qualities of these woods. Now, visitors show up every year to honor the trees. And Italy being Italy, there's a violinist to play a concert. Not for the spectators, for the trees. material needs to be cut in the right place, but also the right way. We need to have the right moon and the right air humidity and the right wind when we cut the tree in the right season to make sure. Absolutely. Is anyone today making violins as good as the old masters in Cremona? I don't think so, but, uh, you know, I hope somebody proves me wrong. That would be great. 300 years we're talking about, and people still want to have a Stradivarius. Mm. What is it? What is it? There is nothing like a fine Italian sound. That's the magic. Yeah. There are only about 650 of Stradivari's creations still in existence. The old instruments from Cremona are so rare and beautiful, they've ignited a kind of feeding frenzy. Sotheby's has this very rare Stradivari viola up for sale and says it's worth $45 million. No takers yet. But Stradivari violins have fetched as much as $16 million, snapped up by collectors and investors. Could you afford your violin today? No, no, no. Absolutely not. Would you ever sell your violin? Right now? The way, the, way, the way it feels? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't think so. Musicians lucky enough to have an old Cremonese instrument like to play them as often as possible. But being played decade after decade for centuries can be rough on old bodies and joints. I wish you could talk. Bruce Carlson, born in Michigan, has been restoring violins in Cremona for 40 years. He has to take them apart to fix them. Once we're all the way around, then we can slip the table off. He did this to a Stradivarius that literally had fallen apart in a violinist's hands. 
What is that like to pry open a violin made by Stradivari? I'd be scared to death to try to open that thing. Uh, maybe something like a surgeon, you know, when he when he's operating, can't think about too much about the human side of things as, as to just getting on with the business and doing it. Bruce Carlson learned his craft at this school in Cremona. Students from all over the world come here to learn to make violins in the way of the old masters. Chris Kurz dropped out of Penn State to study here. It took him a year to make his first instrument. What can you get in Cremona that you couldn't get, say, if you studied at Penn State or went to New York? I mean, like, I can walk down the street and walk by three or four shops on my way to get a coffee. And the fact that I can bring my instrument along to any one of those people and walk in and say, hey, maestro, do you have a minute or two to look at what I'm doing? And then they give me their input. It's the city of violins. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's like living, breathing right here in Cremona. Living, breathing here on the stage of the city's grand old hall, a 21st century chamber orchestra featuring a 300-year-old Stradivarius. It's a tradition, a sound, a gift from Cremona. Now an update on a story we called Three Generations of Punishment. When we first broadcast in December 2012, Shin Dong-hyuk described horrific conditions and torture he said he experienced at a notorious North Korean prison camp, Camp 14. He described being forced to watch the executions of his mother and brother. How how did they kill your mother? They hung her. And they shot my brother. Shin's story was the basis of a book by former Washington Post reporter Blaine Hardin. Shin also testified before UN human rights investigators and met with Secretary of State John Kerry. Now Shin has recanted several key parts of his account, including how long he spent in Camp 14, how old he was when he was tortured, and the reason for the punishment. Shin continues to maintain the bulk of his story is true. I'm Bill Whitaker. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Diva Adaris. 
what is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 